0: Open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and they'll hand one out to you. Romans, chapter 11. Now, as we've been going through the book of Romans, chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul has taken kind of a, a detour. In chapter 8, he he ended so lofty talking about nothing being able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 9, he talks about God's sovereignty, that God has created us and has the freedom to do what he wants with us, specifically dealing with the nation of Israel. Because Christ is the Messiah, a descendant of Abraham who was given to the nation of Israel. They were to recognize him. They didn't. And now they are away from him, many of them at that time, because they did not recognize who Jesus was. And Paul talks about God has the ability to do what he wants. He is God. He is sovereign. And so we see God's sovereignty in chapter 9. And then chapter 10, we talk about Israel's responsibility, that even though God is sovereign and can do what he wants, we are responsible and need to do what is right. And we had this kind of seesaw going back and forth of where does God's sovereignty pick up and my freedom and my responsibility pick up, and how does that balance together? In chapter 11, he talks about God's reliability. So not only is God sovereign, not only are we responsible, but God is reliable. And it's this turmoil of trying to understand where I fit in this. Where is my place in this idea of salvation? How can I know that I am in the right place? And the scriptures want us to be confident and assured. There is assurance that's talked about, and we saw that in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, where it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present Things present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is assurance, there is to be this security. First John talks about it as well. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So there is supposed to be an assurance that you can know and have confidence that you belong to him and are going to be with God forever. But at the same time, we saw in chapter 9 and chapter 10 and even chapter 11 where Paul talked about being cut off from the Lord. And Jesus spoke about it as well, and, and he gave us Reason to be cautious or concerned in uncertainty. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew seven twenty one, verse 21 through 23, where he says, "'Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles?' Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so we see this, well, where am I? Can I have assurance? Or or, gosh, this list that Jesus gives here, that's a pretty impressive list. To prophesy, to drive out demons and perform miracles. Anyone done that lately? I didn't think so. You know, we, we haven't. But they are being told, I never knew you. that they didn't do the works that God required. And we see in chapters 9, 10, and actually through the whole book of Romans, that Paul is writing to explain to us that there is a work that needs to be done, but it's not a matter of just what we do in service, but it's a matter of what we believe. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. Paul talks about that we have to have faith in Jesus, that it's not a matter of our deserving God's favor, but it's a matter of us believing that God has given us his favor through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we get here to the end of chapter 11. Paul's dealing with these areas of God's sovereignty, our responsibility, and God's availability. And in verse 22, let's start from 22 and read through 22 through 24. Paul writes, consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. There we go again, God's kindness, God's sternness to those who fell, and he's talking about Israel, but kindness to you, talking to the Gentiles, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off, okay? And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off Out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive trees? So Paul is talking about the kindness of God and the sternness of God, the unbelief that brings us into that place of God's sternness. But God is always offering to us kindness. And he's talking about the nation of Israel that because they are not believing in the Messiah, they are in this place where their sternness of God is there, where where God is dealing in a judgmental way. And those who have faith, even though they are not of the nation Israel, but who believe in Jesus, have received the kindness. But if those who do not believe do believe, the kindness is there for them as well. And jump down to verse 28. As far as the gospel, the good news about Jesus is concerned, they, the Jews at this time who do not believe, are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God's gifts and his call cannot be changed. Some translations say are without repentance. In other words, God's not going to take them back. Trying to figure out where we stand can be a frustrating thing because of our limitations. Understanding how big God is and where is our part and what do I need to do to connect to the living God can be a frustrating thing. How do you wrap your mind around a God who created the heavens and the earth? We've talked in the past about how big everything is and how small we really are. And so many times we have a problem because we want to deal with things and understand things literally and we don't understand them spiritually. Or we want to understand things religiously and not relationally as God wants to deal with us. And so we have this problem, understanding, and how is God going to reveal what his desires are for us? How can a God who is infinite communicate to us who have just a limited view of a picture that is so much bigger than we really are? He has to use language that grips us. Let me give you an example. Say you're going on a road trip. You're going to travel back east somewhere. And you're going with a friend. Their their name's Pat. That way if it's your guy or girl, you can fit it in. And so you go there with Pat and, and you get in the car and you start driving and you pull into a gas station and Pat gets out and starts filling up the tank and you go inside the store to pay for the gas and you want to get some Snacks for the road, you know, you go there and it's like one of those nicer stores, it has a lot of things, and so you get your favorite snacks, the toffee-covered peanuts, um, you know, peri-water, fill-in-the-blanks, flaming hot Cheetos, you know. If, whatever it is you want, you, you get those things and you bring them back to the car and you've got your bag and, and you sit down and you get into the car and you ask Pat, hey, Pat, do you want anything? I got a bunch of stuff here. Do you want anything? And then Pat says, No. I have food that you don't know about. What would you think? You'd think, Pat smuggled some goods here. He's got some in his bag or something or her bag. Pat's got some treats there that they've brought with them. And so you would naturally think that that's what the case is. But you see, Jesus takes the things that we see literally, and he shakes them up. Because he had that conversation with a woman at the well in John chapter 4, where the disciples came and they said, Lord, do you want something to eat? And he says, no, I have meat that you don't know about. My meat is, my food is to do the will of the Father and proclaim the things that he has told me to And just like you would think with Pat in the car, the disciples are looking around saying, did anyone bring him anything? Where did he get food from? There's no 7-Eleven around here. What's going on? What is he talking about? And you see, Jesus constantly is doing that. This road trip, so to speak, with, with Jesus is one that he constantly is Putting things up in front of us that are making us think outside of what we would naturally think. Not literally, but start thinking spiritually. Trying to connect us to the living God who is so vast, so big, so different than who we are. And there's a number of things that Jesus did in this. In John chapter 2... Jesus told them, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. He was standing in the midst of their temple, this huge building. And they're all looking at each other, what are you talking about? And we know from hindsight that he was talking about the resurrection, the temple of his body. And what he was trying to do was get them to understand the place of worship is not a building, but it is your heart. God is not concerned with just this building. He's concerned with you. There is a different temple. Paul would later pick this up and say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit if he dwells within us. And so he tells them this and most of them are just thinking, you're crazy. It took us all these years to build this. You're going to tear it down and bring it up in three days? That's impossible. You're fanatical. You're a nut. What about John chapter 3? Nicodemus comes to him at night and he says, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life. And he says, you must be born again. (laughs) Nicodemus tries to, to wrap his head around that. What does that mean? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? And Jesus, once again, is trying to connect the dots and say, that which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? and i'm talking to you naturally how would you understand if i talked to you spiritually how can you grasp hold of what i am trying to do to to open your eyes that there is more than this natural world there is more than just what you see In john chapter 4 the same chapter where the samaritan woman is when he's talking with the woman there at the well he says Can you draw me some water that I might drink? And she says, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't deal with each other. And Jesus said, Well, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would have asked me for water. And I would have given you living water. Whoever drinks of this well will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. Again, put yourself in that situation. She's looking at this guy sitting there in the desert. She says, give me this water. And it opens up a conversation, and Jesus says, the true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. That it's not about the temple, it's not about the place, it's about the condition of the heart that you are to worship God in. And he is always challenging us. This road trip with Jesus is shaking up the reality that we've known. The way that we think, how we see God and how God is relating to us. And it kind of culminates, the the biggest one is in chapter 6, where Jesus tells them, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Yeah. Think about that one. And in verse 60, it says that some people left and they said, who can listen to this? Who can understand that? And again, we have the benefit of hindsight to say he was talking about his life being offered as a sacrifice. That just as they had their religious ceremonies that offered the sacrifice to cover their sins, Jesus was offering his life once for all. And unless we partook of that, unless it became a part of our life, we would have no dealings with God. And all these things that Jesus is talking about are to open our awareness to the eternal things, to the things of who God really is and how God really deals with his people. And you see, one of the things that we have a hard time doing, one of the problems that we have is that we want to fit God into what We see what we understand, and he just cannot be boxed into that. The message of who Jesus is, the message of the Gospel of John, is that Jesus entered our world to reveal God to us. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth that he came to reveal God's love for us. In John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That Jesus came to help us to see what was before invisible, how God draws all people to himself. But the great challenge for Jesus was the fact that most of the things that he had to tell us belong to this spiritual dimension that we have a hard time grabbing a hold of. And so he would use these terms that would just make us stop and think, born again? What are you talking about? Tearing down this temple? Water that I will never thirst again? Eat your body? Drink your blood? What are you getting at? helping us to see things differently, helping us to understand who God is. And just as he wants us to understand and get to this place where we start to to connect to the God who is vast, who is incredible, Paul recognizes this too. At the end of chapter 11, verse 33... The final, it's called the doxology. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. So Paul has this recognition that God is beyond our ability to understand. Yet, even though he is so big, he has given us things so that we can understand who he is, his nature, and his relationship with us. And one of the things that Paul says after dealing with Israel and just God's sovereignty to do whatever he wants, their responsibility, he ends on God's reliability, and he says the gifts and call of God cannot be changed. They're irrevocable. They won't be done away with. God has a plan, and he's going to see that plan to its completion. What does that mean? What is he doing? He's giving us a lifeline here that we can grab hold to to understand who he is and how he deals with us. Because God has a call and a plan for our lives. He has gifted us with abilities and things, and he's given those to each of us, and he's not going to take them back. They belong to you. They belong to me. Well... What if I break my vows to God? Like Samson. Samson was a Nazarite. He was not supposed to drink fruit from the vine, any wine. He was not supposed to touch a dead carcass, and he was not supposed to cut his hair. Well, we know about the last one. But throughout Samson's time, who was... Gifted by God and called by God to be a deliverer for his people. In that process, he enjoyed the fruit of the vine very heartily. There, to use King James English. He took honey from a dead carcass and he ate of it. He broke his vows. And then we know finally, he went with this Philistine woman and she cut his hair. And he was taken captive. What if I'm like Samson? Well, at the end, we see that Samson ended up bringing down the pillars and in that one moment at the end of his life killed more of the Philistines than he had done all the years that he was alive. At the end, he was still able to fulfill his calling. Well, what if I'm like David? I mean, David had an adulterous relationship with another man's wife, and then he killed the guy. What if, what if I am like him, and I, I stumble in, in this kind of way in these areas? Acts 13 says, quoting of Samuel, that, David was a man after God's own heart. And God still used him to give us the majority of the Psalms that we have and used him in the nation of Israel. His gift and his call were still fulfilled in spite of his shortcoming. Well, what if I'm like Peter and I deny my faith? Where I say, no, I've never known him. And I cuss like a sailor or a fisherman. And I give that denial out and I am ashamed of being called a follower of Christ. What, what if I'm like that? Peter went on and served the Lord. And in the book of Acts, we see him being used mightily by God, fulfilling his call and the things that God has gifted him. And you see in this balance of God's sovereignty and my responsibility, God says this is not going to change. What I desire for you, what I've given you to do, that will not be taken away. It's up to you. It's up to you and myself to take those gifts that God has given and that call that God has put on our lives and fulfill it. And it doesn't Stop or change. If we forsake our vows, we live a life that is away from that, that will still be there if we will turn back. If we fall into sin, does God stop loving me? His call and his gift for your life is there if you'll come back. If I deny him, if I say, I, I never knew him. I don't want to be identified with a Christian. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. God's gift and his call for your life is still there. What you were created for to do, how to live, God holds out and he will not take it back. And you see, we, we, we want to understand, okay, if that's there then, well, I guess I can just live my life and do whatever I want and just go back any time I want be careful samson got both his eyes plucked out was chained to a millstone and had to grind the grain there was a cost to to living apart from that call and that life that god had but once he changed his mindset i will go back and i will god use me god did david the child that was born from this adulterous relationship died And his own son, Absalom, followed in his footsteps, taking his wives and making it an open display to the nation of Israel and tried to kill him. Galatians is right. You will reap what you sow. There is a cost to our walking away, our disobedience, our denying. Peter wept bitterly. And then we have the belief that he was actually crucified upside down because he didn't see himself fit to die like the Lord. There was the shame of what he had done. What we do will haunt us. We will reap what we sow. But in the middle, God says, if you will come back, I will not take what I've created you to be away. It belongs to you. All you have to do, is turned back and you see that's something i want everyone here to understand if you want to ask a question what happens if i don't come back you'll have to answer to god for that i don't know but what i want you to know and what paul wanted us to know in this conclusion of these chapters is the gifts and the calling of god will not be taken away they are there for you if you will go to him where are you in your life with your relationship to God? Because God is trying to wake you up. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to who he is and what he has for us. And he says, it's here for you if you will come to me. And maybe you're like Samson or David or Peter and you feel like, I cannot go. I cannot be there. I, I, I'm, you don't understand where I am. It took all that I had just to come to church because I don't go to church. I don't feel comfortable in church. If you want to call this church, you know, hopefully you feel comfortable. But you feel like I- I'm distant. I don't understand these things. I'm, I'm not a part of that. Well, here's another road trip story with Jesus. And you guys are familiar with it takes place in Luke chapter 15. It's a story of the prodigal son. Father has two sons. One stays with him. The other wanders off. He says, Dad, give me my inheritance. An inheritance that he's not supposed to have until after he dies. And he says, I know you're not dead yet, but I want my money. Thanks, son. And the dad gives him his inheritance. He gives him his money and he goes off And he lives his life among the prostitutes and he's out partying and he squanders it away until he has nothing. And he's there taking care of pigs, an unclean animal for a Jewish boy. And he's thinking, you know, I would be happy just to eat the slop these pigs are eating. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my father's house and perhaps he'll take me back and I'll just say, You know, he's rehearsing it in his mind. He says, Father, forgive me. I'm not worth being your son. I'll just be a servant in your household if you'll just take me back. And you guys know the story as he's rehearsing this place of failure, this place of utter just downcast and despair. He comes up and there the father turns and looks at his son and does something that is very undignified. He runs to his son. And he embraces him. And he puts his robe on him. And he gets the, the best calf. And he has a feast and a party. Why? Because he was looking for him. Jesus is painting us a picture here. He's telling us the heart of God, he's telling us the nature of God for you and for me. And wherever you are at today, right now, God wants you to know how he feels about you and that his call for your life and the things he has gifted you with, he will not take away. All you need to do is be like the prodigal. Turn to him and say, okay, I'm coming home. I will come to you and God says, then the things I have gifted you with and created you for, the call I have for your life, it is there. It is still there. But I've done this, this, and this. Well, you will reap what you sow, but I will still use you and fulfill the work that I have for your life. It will not change. It will not be taken away. I still have that plan for you. It's there for you. It's there for me. And see, we need to try and understand and see past just the logical things that Paul is talking about in the area of sovereignty, in the area of responsibility, in the area of God's reliability. We need to see the character and nature of God through all these things. And when he says, I have this for you, it will not be taken away. He's presenting his heart for us that he has postured towards us. It is up to us to come to him. Because if God can choose whether he would choose show us mercy or be stern with us, but he wants to show us mercy. He wants to be kind to us. In fact, in the middle of this idea of God's sovereignty in Romans 9, 16, it says, does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. If it depends on God's mercy, what is the heart of God? He says, the gifts, the calling I have for your life, I will not take them. They're here for you. Okay, the question. Do you desire them? Is that what you want for your life? What has God gifted you with? What has he called you to do? Is that important to you? Do you see that? Or do you just see the things that are natural? Do you see the spiritual things that God has for your life? I can't tell you what those things are. That's for you and your relationship with God. But God has you where you're at with your personality, with all the things that you can do, that you know that you're comfortable with, uncomfortable with. The place that you're at, God has you there, and he has gifted you for that, and He has called you to do something right where you're at. Do you know what it is? Do you care? How can I know? What can I do? You need to listen. You need to go on a road trip with Jesus. And let him talk to you. And you're not going to get everything. They didn't. I still don't. I'll read some things and I go, what are you saying? Lord, I'm not sure I get that. And I almost feel like God's smiling saying, good. That'll keep you... Keep you guessing. Once you start getting comfortable with that relationship, taking it for granted, you're in trouble. You know, we can ignore God several ways. We can ignore Him by not caring, not reading the scriptures, not praying, not coming to a gathering like this where we talk about the things of the Lord. We can ignore Him that way We can also ignore God by doing religious things and thinking that's enough. Think of your relationship, those of you who are married. There are several ways you can ignore your wife or husband. One, you can sit on the couch and watch the ball games all day. The other is you can just do the chores. Hey, I'm doing my job. I go to work. I'm taking the trash out. You know, I'm cleaning up after myself. I'm doing those things. I'm doing the things that are important for a relationship. But you can ignore your wife with both of those. And maybe your wife will come up to you and say, we never talk. And you say, no, we did. We were talking just a while ago. I said I was going to take out the trash. I said I was going to do this. I said I was going to We were talking. And what she's saying is, we are not connecting. The things that are important to me, I'm not able to communicate with you. Well, we can ignore God the same way. We can just stay away from him, or we can start doing things and thinking that's enough. And he will communicate to us and say, we're not talking. We never talk. Lord, I've done all these things. I've done miracles. I've cast out demons. And I'll say, I never knew. It wasn't about the things. It was about you. It was about what I gifted you with. It's about what I've called you to do. You ignored it. You were not connected to me. And So this morning, I believe God wants to be connected to who we are. He wants to reveal himself in us through his son, Jesus Christ. How does that happen? We need to desire it we need to turn to him we need to seek him we seek him by reading studying the scriptures we seek him by praying we seek him by gathering together encouraging and being encouraged by one another we seek him by caring about what he wants more than just what we want god's gifted you he's called you and he will not take it away will you take it i hope so let's pray Lord, it's pretty mind-blowing to think that there is something that you will not change and will not take away. The God who created heavens and earth says that he will not take this away from us, what you have gifted us with and what you have called us to. And just like The nation of Israel can always come back to you. Lord, we like Samson, like David, like Peter, wherever we find ourselves can also come back to you and fulfill what you have for us to do. Lord, our lives are incomplete until we are living and walking in the ways that you have called us to. So I pray that this morning you have stirred our hearts, our interest, that Our ears will be open to hear what you say, to try and understand the meaning of your words, to try and see the spiritual and not just the literal, to try and live in a relational way and not just a religious way with you, to allow you to be our God, that we might be your people, that you could actually communicate with us and direct our lives. God, that's an exciting thing. That is a satisfying thing. That is a comforting thing to believe and to know. And I pray that we would have that assurance, that we would know that we have eternal life because we are living in the gifting and calling that you have called us to, that we can have that assurance, that nothing will separate us from your love. Lord, what is necessary? For that to take place is that we simply know you. And so right here we ask, reveal yourself to us, speak to us. May we have a hunger for you, a thirst for you, a desire for what you desire in our lives. Father, we ask this of you, believing you are God, that you hear us and are able to answer and work the amazing in our lives. We pray you would do so, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.